mouth is already set at best. This is the best, the best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 Yes, yes, yes. Hello and welcome to Best of the Best Podcast with myself, Connor Keys. Alongside me as always, Mr. Ronan Mullen. Axel Rowan, baby! Yeah. Uh, we are here today uh, to talk about Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, the debut album from the uh, LA band, GNR. GN fucking R. GN fucking R. Uh, Guns N' Roses, um, we're going to talk today about uh, everything about them in regards to their career, but we're going to focus on what we class as uh, the best, which is uh, Appetite, as we like to shorten it out. In their canon, there's definitely none close. No. Not even fucking near. In okay. fact, in most bands that we know are really, really good, there's not even close to this album. No, yeah, we've, we've had a few debut albums so far yes, in the podcast, yeah, um, but this is... Uh, in regards to, we had Arctic Monkeys talking about the, the biggest UK debut album. Yeah. Uh, this is the biggest US debut album it of indeed. all time. Um, 18 million units. In America alone. In America alone. Um, and again, we're sort of glad that Arctic Monkeys at the time took that away from our, our good pals Hearsay. Um, <laughs> because simple. Guns N' Roses are uh, number one. Can you guess number two? Of debuts? Uh-huh. Jesus, no. Never even. Boston. Really? Mm-hmm. And they weren't even a band? No. It was one guy, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He recorded the whole album himself. Sorry, I looked at that. Now you're starting to question that. Probably. Anyway, it was one of those. But I mean... Boston Foreigner Journey, one of them type of Yeah. Maybe Foreigner. Maybe. Uh, but number three. Oh, you'll love to hear this now. Cool. Number three debut albums of all time in the US. Oh, is it a solo artist? No, it's one of mine that you absolutely fucking detest. When I say one of mine, it's just... It's Hootie, isn't it? It is. Fuck me. Hootie and the Blowfish. That fucking album was massive. Huge. I don't... Uh, and I just... I, I don't know. I still don't know I, why. I don't even know a song from it. I um, literally couldn't hum a song of Hootie and the Blowfish. I loved it. I loved the first two albums. I loved his voice. I think that's what I fell in love with, Darius Rucker. But then he just went pure country. And, uh, but don't man, it all went to their head, man. Uh, speaking of going to the head, Axel Rose, <laughs> the lead singer of Guns N' Roses. Uh, this particular episode is going to be spliced with Axel Tales. Mm. Like DuckTales, but of, way worse. Yes. Uh, we have Axel Rose, born Bill Rose, mm-hmm. William in, uh, in Indiana, mm-hmm. which um, I was very excited about because I had family that moved to Indiana. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so when I was younger, we were going there. I was like, oh, where's Axel Rose is from? Uh, and unlike, we should talk about that, the background to it and the context for ourselves. Um, we talked about Rage Against the Machine and, and how it was relatively later on and we might have found it from the start. You couldn't avoid this album. You couldn't have avoided no. it, um, especially the singles. No. Uh, the singles were so global that um, Guns N' Roses then entered even our stratosphere of primary school children in 1987. Yeah. Sweet Child of Mine was that uh, much of an impact. It was on... I was very surprised to read that it wasn't, it was considered not radio or MTV friendly the, the year it came out. Yeah. And it took a lot of push by the record label to get it to where it is now. But from everything I could read, it took one push in particular where they played it on MTV at like four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that was enough. That was enough. And it became absolutely massive. Yeah. So uh, they, They've taken it then that... Uh, the context for us saying that this was something out there completely. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think of what was going about at the time, yes, there was a Metallica, but for every Metallica, there was a poison. Not really. Nineteen eighty-seven. They weren't. They weren't what they are now. No, no, um, even close. Nothing was that. Well, nothing was as outlandish as they want to call it. That I mean, um, in nineteen eighty-seven, right? Aerosmith had just. Did the big resurgence uh-huh. and became the Aerosmith we know now. Yeah. Um, Aerosmith were a massive band in the 70s. And then 
because of the cocaine, took a wee bit of time off. Yeah. They released Permanent Vacation, and that's like uh, Love on an Elevator and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Huge, mm-hmm. everywhere, MTV friendly, the yeah. whole thing. Also, uh, Def Leppard mm-hmm. released Hysteria the same year, and U2 released Joshua Tree. Yes. So you're not getting much of a fucking market in between those three. No, definitely Especially not. in rock, uh-huh. um, but definitely not in MTV. No. So they say that's that didn't help them at all. No. And they sort of became known as sleaze metal, was a term I'd heard from them, because... Well, they came out of glam, like so. Yeah, these... Uh, so you've got Axl Rose, you've got... Uh, we should go back to the start, the very, very start of Guns N' Roses. Um, mm-hmm. There was a... A, gu- a guitarist called Tracy Guns. Tracy Guns. And hence the Guns and Roses. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tracy Guns then was replaced by a relatively unknown guitar player called Saul Hudson. Saul Hudson. A.K.A. Slash. Who, you know who he got his name? No. His mother is a costume designer. Mm-hmm. And she worked on a lot of films. And I don't know if you know the actor. But Seymour... Kimmer's fucking surname, man. Seymour Cassell, right. who's been in a lot of Wes Anderson films, okay, was on the set, and Saul Hudson used to run about like a lunatic, and he was like, he's like a wee slash. You can't keep your eye on him. <laughs> and that's where he got his name, Slash. Uh, alongside Slash, then Slash became lead guitarist, but um, resident guitar then was Izzy Stradlin. Yep. Um, Steve Adler on drums. And then they finalized it with Duff McKagan on bass. Um, that is sort of what's quintessentially known as the classic lineup, you agree? Um, they started off in 86, they released a, a the live, live or the four track, four yeah. track EP. Um, and what's then they subsequently ended up on Lies, which came out after um, Appetite. Mm-hmm. But Appetite is 12 tracks. Uh, kicking things off on the album is the uh, <laughs> anthem, you want to call it that? Welcome to the Jungle. Yep. Um, I mean, what an opener. It's um, it's the first song I heard. Mm-hmm. And it was on the radio, bizarrely enough, saying that people didn't really listen to it on the radio, but it was on the radio. And I remember being, I remember it. I remember being in the car in my school uniform mm-hmm. and hearing it. There was nothing like hearing... Losing the plot. Yeah. There was nothing like hearing that voice. Mm-hmm. Um, just because as loud, much... The guitars were loud. Everything like, I've never loud. heard yeah. guitars sound like that on a song. Especially at that age. Like. Yeah. But as well as that, you have to say... Like, we'll, we'll get to the music end of things, but the, uh, we start with Axel Rose. I mean, that voice... It's no, up no, there maybe as one of the most iconic voices... <laughs> Anywhere, uh, yeah, he really, from he really any is. genre or any uh, generation, because mm-hmm. as soon as you hear his voice, you know it's him. Um, but he also has that sort of uh, the range he had, going from the deep down low to the way high squeaky that nobody else can replicate. No, um, I mean that that was a uh, that was a, a massive shock to me. I was like, "What is this? Boy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the noise he's reaching." But then uh, you know, and and then of course, then you got the lyrics, and then the look of them. Then when you actually seen them, what they looked like. Um, Axel was especially. I still think it. I still uh, think he was one of the best frontmen. Oh, without a doubt, up there in the top ten. I without mean, a doubt, just full of energy and full of. Full, full of, sh- full full of shit too. and full of ego, full yeah, of which ultimately shit. which led to the demise, but we'll we'll stick with appetite as it is. But so welcome to the jungle. Then you've got um as you say, it shouldn't have been MTV friendly. It shouldn't have been as No. It was re- released on Geffen Records. They were signed to Geffen, but that was ultimately because they had signed to I think it was Uzi Records, um mm-hmm. who, beforehand uh, as an independent label, but as we have talked about before, there was no such thing as independent label. Um, Uzi Records was still uh, a subsidiary of Geffen Records. So, mm-hmm. so they got a big uh, distribution, if you want to go with that. But it's obviously because they, they they knew what was coming. I mean, people in the know around the club circuit were well, seeing what was going on. Yeah, you, you couldn't... Band live. You couldn't w- when you, couldn't you see a band with them. that good live, and especially with songs that good, Yeah, uh, it's that, that's the perfect chemistry. Like, But also the lifestyle. I mean, they were mm-hmm. pretty much homeless. Yes, they, they, you know, they were. This was a band that was going around before the first album was released and living on sofas and living in people's basements and stuff, um, and taking shit loads of drink and drugs. 
some of them stories are legendary in themselves and the state they got themselves into. Well, um, and the reputation they had. Um, kind of the word that was kept popping up when you look about them as outlaws. They were sort of seen as outlaws in the music scene. They were. That was the sort of thing, though, in that Sunset Strip glam yeah, whiskey, era. The whiskey go-go. They didn't, bands didn't, like, turn up and have a lot of money and a practice space and a place to live and were, you know, completely stable. Mm-hmm. They were they were all, like, dropouts from other towns. And, yeah. like, I remember this interview with some, I think it was actually Duff McKagan in the, uh, one of the Dave Grohl documentaries where he says it's very rare that you find a person from Los Angeles in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's just people all from, from all else, over yeah. somewhere else, and that's what ninety nine percent of these people were. They were just drop ins, like so. And to to get a residency or a lot of the thing actually in Los Angeles is pay to play. Mm-hmm. So you got to play a good, a good pay a good amount of money to play to a show, going, yeah, and in the hope that someone industry related or whatever would see you. But mm-hmm. I think guns were just from minute one they were. Yeah, you're, like, you're talking you're talking the sort of uh the cocktail of success being you've got good songs yep. you've got great musicians oh yeah and then you've got this live energy that nobody else could replicate and uh and they they, they were they were they were literally blowing up in, in california and la mm-hmm. uh so you've you've got this welcome to the jungle to come out with the video then uh was uh made mtv friendly in that sense uh and for any young people, uh, MTV is uh, short for music television. Um, it used to be a channel. It played music. Played music. I know you wouldn't know it now, but... Um, it's the show that plays Geordie Shore. Yeah. It's a Geordie Shore channel. That, that channel. Yeah. Uh, but in its heyday, it was the place where you would find any any new music at all. Um, well, they bear, that's the, 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 the cable company that owned MTV said that they would never play their videos. And they would never, if they do, they would drop them from their cable service. Yeah. Because you have to talk about that to the context of this album coming out. Welcome to the Jungle being the first track of it. But before even you get to Welcome, you have to get past the, one of the very first um, parental advisory explicit lyrics. Oh, stickers yeah. Stickers. That's on right. It, the controversy at the time. Because you have to remember, whilst uh, we've talked about our, our Raging Against the Machine and, and what they were talking about, and saying, you have to talk about, it was a very short span, four years earlier, for or four or five years earlier for Appetite. Mm-hmm. But the storm that it caused at the time with the language and the profanity and the... And not only that, the original front cover. Remember that? Yes. Uh-huh. <coughs> the original front cover was a painting called Appetite for Destruction, but it was of a robot mm-hmm. after sexually assaulting a woman. Yes. Uh-huh. And there's a bigger robot in the sky coming to enact robot justice. <clears throat> I don't know what the fuck that means, but... Mm. Uh, it was like a comment on industrial society or something, but that was their fucking original phone cover, yeah. and the guy was like, "Nah, nah." And you think that happening. might be a sign of the times? It's not because when they did the re-release in two thousand and seven on vinyl, mm-hmm. they put the original cover in the front, and the record company were like, "Nope, nah, we're doing we're yeah. repressing." So they put the original cover inside, and the cover we know of the cross with all the skulls, the skulls on it, yeah, which is, is which is inspired by Thin Lizzy. I didn't know. Oh right, okay. All the wee knots in the cross. Apparently we're all oh, okay. Celtic related. Well, Celtic was a little tin lizard. And I mean, you can see that you can actually see some resemblance to Lizzie, I suppose, and what uh, and, and you can with a lot of stuff like yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of American eighties rock is pretty much. Uh, you then sort of the other. We have to talk about the three singles first off, just to get them out of the way. So you're talking um, after Welcome to the Jungle. You've got uh, Paradise City. Which no. is, it's the first video I saw. It's not the first song I heard, but it's the first video. The first video I've seen. Live. Them, yeah. yeah, it's a live video. And it's, uh, again, uh, uh, the song itself, <laughs> it's just going to go on for you. That's your it's first gonna, and second go, like. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that that hook, um, mm-hmm. that, that chorus, uh, everything about it, the, the, the guitar and the, everything is just, as soon as you hear that opening guitar, there's no. And the um, outro was, uh, the, the, sorry, the coda at the end is a mistake. The engineer repeated <laughs> it or repeated something, it, yeah. just as a joke to see what it sounded like. <laughs> and, just, and Rose yeah. is like, "We're doing that again. We, yeah. we have to do it that way." And uh, so it repeats that "Take Me Home" bit, yeah, with a big drum roll, and then he did it again. It was just that one time, and then they they repeated it. They the repeated it yeah. just in the studio for the. And now you couldn't hear it in the other way. No, yeah, um, and that I mean, the production level of it was quite 
Mike well, Clink. Mike Clink, but it was quite cheap. And what because they, they didn't it have much cheap, money. But, but the guy, the quality was. Oh, it was unreal. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that in a bit. But the guy himself had only been an engineer. Mike Clink, we're talking about. He was an engineer on some UFO albums, mm-hmm. <coughs> and he'd done one live album by UFO, which Rose and uh, Izzy Stradlin and Slash were big fans of. And they were like, we want our, our album to sound like that live album. Mm-hmm. Because it sounded a bit raw. Yeah. Which is a fucking leap. Mm-hmm. And they'd had they'd had producers before. One, notoriously, was Paul Stanley from so Kiss. They, yes, they did one song maybe with him. He, he asked them to uh, completely redo Welcome to the Jungle and make it more poppy. So we'll be able to play on the radio. And he also asked for Steve Adler to have more say, drums. He wanted Steve Adler to change the drum kit or something. Yeah, I've seen that. Even though he didn't play, he didn't need any more drums. Mm-hmm. He wanted him to have more drums so it would look better. <laughs> like you can just see the, I can see fucking Motley Crue picture coming up there. And the, just, the 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 guy, I well that, exactly because yeah. Tommy Lee barely used ninety nine percent of his drum <laughs> no. kit. So I can just imagine Axl Rose's face hearing the washed up singer of Kiss. <laughs> telling him and his brand new effort what to do with the fucking drum kit mm-hmm. but it transpired later on well you can hear audio online of yeah. him taking the absolute hand at a Paul Stanley for years since well that's the thing it's uh that was never gonna last when she come in and that would have been yeah. the first sign and of, it didn't of, he was yeah, out straight away, straight away. Like. but it was the first maybe hint publicly <laughs> of the uh tumultuous band that they were i mean they well, <laughs> and they that was led by, led by rose um but paradise city i mean it highlighted highlighted everything highlighted his singing highlighted the the ability to write a, a poppy catchy melody yeah well, but melody i wouldn't also, say pop but not pop I'll but definitely I, I, go with I, they knew how to write a hook and a hook yeah so i mean it's and i but then they also went pretty heavy in the middle of that song too you know yeah. they go right out mm-hmm. balls out in the middle of it you and know, that's where in the live in the video you see it isn't a live recording but in the video you yeah. see it's a live live footage mm-hmm. with the audio from the, the studio but them losing the bop on stage yeah. was the first time i saw the band same as that first time i seen axel rose and wasn't mm-hmm. that and that's just it's amazing oh yeah it's amazing i i fell in love with axel now for quite a number of years um got a wee bit obsessed with him Oh. Um, oh, I loved them. Oh, I. Uh, that first album definitely, and then when Use Your Illusion was coming out, like don't forget at our age, you know, we were quite young to be listening to that. I mean, six. I have a I have a, a memory of, uh, and this is going to Use Your Illusion, but I have a memory of singing Coma, uh-huh. coming down St. Column Kills Corridor mm-hmm. at the end of P Seven, mm. not giving a fuck, singing at the top of my voice. I remember the principal Harry Scully. Saying, what sort of noise is that? I've never heard a song like that before. And I was like, well, what do you know, you fucker? <laughs> what what <laughs> lyric were so, you singing? Uh, I just was singing that, that the melody things. Oh, right. So you're singing about comas? As bad as that, comas in, in P7. P7 hallway. And uh, the principal really getting... To be fair. In fairness, I should have thought about that. But, um, but yeah, so Axel Rose was... Even though Axel Rose... His name was Bill. I don't. I, I know now, as I got older, why he went for Axel. Um, it was to do with the band or something, wasn't it? No, it's because Axel Rose is an anagram of oral sex. That's right. So yeah, you heard it here first, or again, depending <laughs> on your knowledge. Well, was, was, he called him. He was something. Oral he, was, sex. he was a different name when he was younger, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't know. What, it was William yeah. something? I can't remember. Yeah, he always had a full like barrel right. name, like yeah. Uh, so, but then when you have a guy that's um, named after, you know, that. Yeah. Um, it's quite ironic that he now sucks balls. But anyway, that's a different... Ooh. Oh. Now, but that's a good time to add <laughs> in the first of our Axel tales. <laughs> Axel Rose is notorious for many, many, many things. Many assaults. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mince his words at times. He's not the brightest. No. But some of his most, some of the most <laughs> notorious for me that I remember from the past were things that happened with other bands. Mm-hmm. The first one is well documented in um, a Metallica documentary, where Metallica were recording the Black Album, mm-hmm. and this documentary crew films them for a year and a half. It's called a year and a half in the life of Metallica. But 
They record. They show them recording the whole of the Black Album and then what happens after, including the notorious tour with Guns N' Roses, of which the most memorable part yes. is when James Hetfield gets his arm burnt with, uh, during an accident with a pyro. Mm-hmm. So Metallica are starting the show. They're touring with Guns N' Roses. Metallica start the show. Uh, actually, Faith the More started the show, but then Metallica came on as the second headliner. And they have to quit early because James Hetfield's been burnt. So then... Obviously, the show's running a bit tight because a band still has an hour to go. So they request that Guns N' Roses come out and play an hour earlier than scheduled. Axel refuses because it's Axel. Because he can't. He then comes on stage, plays for a short period of time, doesn't like the crowd and decides, fuck this, we're out of here. Leaves. (laughs) A riot of 50 to 60,000 people Mm -hmm. happens. Uh, they get on the stage and wreck all their equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actual roadies have to barricade themselves with the hoarding that held the crowd from the yeah. stage in the first place. Oh, cops and, and cops never had to run. <coughs> that was the first of... In that week, he did it three times there at was, different shows. Yeah, and there was another more serious incident then where somebody was taking a Somebody was filming. Or filming of they him, were filming he, with a camcorder. He jumped into the crowd, kicked the person in the face. Yeah, uh, got security to beat the shit out of him, took the camera off him, and then said, "The security in here sucks. We're out of here," and did it again. Yeah, but then what happened was then um, two people died. Yeah, yeah, at the concert, and it was uh, so it kept them in the headlines for all the wrong reasons, you know, and, and that that was Axel. <clears throat> yeah, and you and it's uh, <laughs> it's the frontman syndrome, isn't it? You know what I mean? You always feel sorry for the rest of the band. You look at you two. I always feel sorry for all the three boys. I of, don't sound, fucking feel sorry for any of them fuckers, man. Don't you <laughs> yeah. dare put that. Nah, Larry sounds really. Bono's a cunt, but the rest is right. But the same thing, you know, the same thing applies. Duff's like, the man, like <laughs> Duff's the man. Duff's the man. And you cannot be no. equating the capes of Duff no. to fucking Edge and all them no. fruit lords. Fruit lords. <laughs> <laughs> Look, at if you could see his face, man, man, Brian. I'm loving it. Uh, <laughs> No, no, but I'd agree. But there is that frontman problem, you know, whatever band it well, is. Well, whatever. You have to try and contain that now. But whatever he was trying to achieve, and that, and, and, now this is post appetite. This yeah. is in the use your illusion time, so I know we're not relevant, but. It, it, well, it still was, he was as bad. Was then, he, it appetite. was building, yeah, yeah. and giving him more money made it way worse. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the, what we're talking about now is the, the building of the axle that was coming to be. Yeah. Well, that's it. And there's been. but. I think the, the, the most successful bands over the years are the ones who've been able to curtail their front men. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. The Stones or the Who or, you know, they've they've had the energy and had the, the, the performance, but they haven't went with the fucking ego and went mental mm-hmm. like the likes of Guns Roses or U2 or whatever. Um, but again, you can't deny when it comes to Axl Rose, there's a lot of good uh, songwriting. There's a lot of good songwriting. There's there is. There's a lot of good uh, lyrics as well, but... Um, what do you do with the fucking madness? But we're, we're even talk, we're talking about appetite for destruction. And but you could be mine, November rain, back off, bitch, and yes. don't cry from user illusion. We're, we're all, all for available that. for mm-hmm. appetite for destruction. And November rain didn't get on appetite because they had sweet child of mine. They already had a, yeah. what they called a slow the ballad song or a ballad. They had their ballad, so they couldn't have two. sweet child of mine's a ballad. I know. Oh, well, and, and, I'd be and, happy enough for the rest of my life listening to ballads if that yeah, was. That was the ballad you were listening to. Um, but that is the thing, you see. It's, I suppose then it shows you the difference between Appetite and Use Your Illusion, where Use Your Illusion has nothing but fucking ballads in it. Ah, it's um, it's washy washy as fuck. You have two albums that could have been one brilliant album, basically. But yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. So, I mean, but anyway, we're, Paradise City has, has been the second single. Mm-hmm. Then you get to The Monster of Sweet Child of Mine. Yep. Now, Sweet Child of Mine, I mean, there's there's nobody on the planet that doesn't know the song. No. Um, my fucking mother, <laughs> my granny knew, you know what I mean? They've heard it, it's just been about, uh, it's, it's, it's an iconic song. But came about as a joke. Um, Slash, playing the intro, was uh, messing about mm-hmm. and decided to like fuck about with like a circus type sound. <laughs> like that sort of thing. Really? Playing this, yeah, playing this riff and did not want. No, it was a joke. Like he was just doing a joke, and two of the boys went, "Play that again, man! Just do that again." And he was like, "What?" And then they played it, and but Slash is going to set on record going, "I fucking hate that." It was a joke. It wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't like I sat down and mastered this thing. I I I was taking the piss, and it became 
<laughs> like Jesus I had to play it Christ. for the rest of my life, and I fucking hate it. Um, but yeah, he was messing about just, and uh, they heard it. Obviously, heard something in that. And if you listen to it now, when you hear that, you can sort of get those sort of yeah. jumps and notes of the um, uh, of a circus sort of thing. Gene, you can get that. Uh, but the song itself was was written about Axel's love at the time. Um, He's a big fan of talking about exes. If you ever go through his like Wikipedia, yeah, he has of, a lot of exes. A lot of exes. Nobody stays with Axel. No, it's not that Axel dumps them. Nobody stays with Axel. Nobody could stay with Axel. No, um, not even those fucking band members for fuck's sake. <laughs> Never mind your that's, that's another story. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> so you have a, it's a sweet chat in mind then because, but again, you're talking lyrics. Um, some of the lyrics are fucking um, absolutely. Beautiful too. <laughs> quite well. It, quite it, it, he a, said a few know. of them were poems, weren't they? That yeah. he just transposed into a song. And and as you said, and his typical Axel way was oh, like, yeah. "Pussies aren't fucking man enough <laughs> to fucking put poems into rock." And you're like, "How can you?" That's an oxymoron, yeah. Axel. Uh, Sit down, Axel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had. I mean, again, we talk, we could talk about ego all day, but they're the three singles from one album. Now. I mean, and they're, none of them are my favorite song on the album. No, same as that. Like uh, it's fucking, yeah. it's impressive. That's how good. But it worked. Like. like if you've got those three singles, are usually the uh-huh. people then avoid because it went so mainstream. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of the other tracks that are, um, because again, some of these tracks, all of them, I suppose, are are talking about where they were at that time and mm-hmm. what they were doing, which was living as fucking bums basically they yeah were, they were they were ragtagging about yeah. la streets like um and as i said earlier sleeping rough or sleeping on people's sofas and basement. Mm-hmm. so um we could talk i mean we could pick any song i suppose mr brownstone mr brownstone's a good one um a good example mr brownstone talking about um their relationship with their dealer of heroin mm-hmm. um but i mean as an intro you know uh, the drum intro is it's just again, it's up there. It's, it's one of the pretty iconic intros. It's, it's do you want to talk noise. about the musicianship again? Yeah, I mean, well, well, since because I, there's one thing I do want to say very clearly: it's the best snare sound on any album. Well, I was just ever going to remind people that are listening just that we have, you know, uh, Oma's number one drummer. Um, Is Oscar Bradley in the building? Um, <laughs> oh, you see his face now, folks. Um, <laughs> I know, <laughs> but yes, we have a drummer here with us. So, I mean. Uh, Adler on drums, I mean... The guy wasn't even a fucking drummer. He wasn't even a drummer. He wasn't even a fucking drummer, like... <laughs> and he's one. fucking unbelievable yeah. in this album. And uh, like you say, the, the noise of, the, out of, of of all the instruments, but we'll focus on the drums at the moment, that, 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 as you say, the snare sound. I've never heard a snare as good on a, yeah. on a recorded album, ever. And It's unbelievable. And people have tried to replicate it, and people have actually bought the snare he used in the studio, which, by the way, isn't the snare he used live. And they've tried it, and they can't get it. Can't get the same. Nobody knows how this guy got the sound, but I think it comes from the whole realm of he recorded live albums. So the guy heard different snare sounds Doesn't of one snare yeah. a night. Yeah. So recording one, he was like, "This is fucking easy." Yeah. One mic in a you know a, a nice a studio controlled environment, controlled environment and but people still can't figure out how the whole the whole recording is is epic. But to me, like. Like I said, hearing Welcome to the Jungle, then seeing Sweet Child of Mine and going, these, these guys, this is what these guys actually look like. Mm-hmm. So then you get the album. There's loads of swearing in it. So you got to listen to it in the wee hours. <laughs> and you got to make sure you don't run, run the tape out. Mm-hmm. And then you just keep hearing. Of course, then you're listening to it in headphones. Yeah. So when you're listening to headphones. You're hearing everything. Then, you're yeah. fucking everything. Mm-hmm. You don't miss a beat. So to hear drums sound like that. In an era where this is nineteen eighty seven, man, we're we're hearing a lot of electro pop oh, and stuff on the radio, yeah. and that's all we were that's getting. Gonna, we, we we sort of hinted at it earlier. You have to remember what was going on around, even the the, the pop mainstream, whatever oh, synthesizers boy. and keyboards and and drum machines and stuff. So to hear, <coughs> to hear that to hear, sounded epic. Your voice, there, man. You hear that there? Can I get back? <laughs> I was heading to fucking follow on Metallica mode there. Give it the Hatfield. Um, but when you hear then that in the middle of, like as you say, eighty seven. Eighty seven was also Jackson's bad. Came out the same summer. You know what I mean? Um, Are we okay with that yet? Can I we? think so. I'm fine with bad luck. I, I don't mind. You know? Yeah. Chappelle's touched it, not it no, specifically. Say, what, what did he touch? It'd be pretty fucking rotten at the minute. Weird. 
but in 1987, 87, I'm going to throw some names out at you, right? Pop is pop. He is the king of pop. Jackson He's was king the pop. time, but pop was king of the airwaves as well. So oh, but not fun. only. Let's forget about music for one small second. What have you got? Do you know what films came out in 1987? Oh, good question. Oh, now, hold on. Hold on, let me guess. The, the question actually should be. What fucking film didn't come out in 1987? Oh, Right, I'm just going to throw some at you. Predator. Oh, yes. Robocop. Mm-hmm. The Untouchables. Wall Street. The Mighty Mannequin, by the way. Oh, what a show. Lost Boys. Full Metal Jacket. Jesus. Princess Bride. Beverly Hills Cop 2. Witches of Eastwick. Superman 4. Fatal Attraction. Spaceballs. Lethal Weapon? Yeah. This is one fucking year, like. You just listed out a whole list of Racing Arizona. Best, best podcasts. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, what a class. Creepshow 2, which is fucking amazing, Creepshow 2. Angel Heart, remember the De Niro one? Oh, hi. That was Sean Penn, though. And Evil Not Dead 2. Evil Dead 2 was that year. In one fucking year. And I'm missing about 40 there, like. That was a mighty year. But this is a whole... This is what's going on in the world around... Mm, what a show too Dragnet Dragnet mm, I love that show <laughs> But anyway That's what's going on in the world around us Pop music is completely taken over With it's electronica And films decided to get fucking amazing in one year Yeah I can see where all the talent was being uh, So Appetite spread. for Destruction Like we're talking about Comes out And, and sits it does, it does Sits thing. at 187 in the Billboard charts yeah. for a year. A year long, yeah. It took a year for it to actually build from where it was. Yep. Um, so it was literally, I think it was a full 12 months. It was the following year. The it summer was July was really, and there was August or something where uh, the, the, it the video went, finally yeah. kicked yeah. and it all went. Went to number one then. Uh, but Mr. Brownstone, the introduction. I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. the drumming introduction. Um, but again. Again, he's not a drummer. And he's not a drummer. Yep. Um, but... I mean, I loved the song because of the lyrics. Now, I didn't know when it was fucking... I had no fucking idea. that it was about no. heroin. I, I still sang Mr. Tambourine Man going, Boy, playing a tambourine. <laughs> Not uh, a tambourine. I had no idea what who Brownstone was and uh, I hadn't a clue, but I just loved all the lines in it. Um, Mr. Brownstone, we've been dancing with Mr. Brownstone. He won't knock and he won't leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but it was the opening. I get up around seven, get out of bed around nine. <laughs> <laughs> I always loved that. Yeah, no like, phones in too, guys. No, so no I wasn't looking at the phone. Right? Yeah. Um, but uh, again, the, the underlying message and all of it, because you're talking then, Mr. Brownstone is talking about heroin, and then you have a song called Night Train. Which is about booze, isn't it? Night Train is uh, an American version of Basically, if that was a UK song, okay, it'll be called White Lightning or Mad Dog Twenty Twenty. <laughs> Actually, Mad Dog Twenty Twenty is probably closer to Night Train than anything else. So it's like a fortified wine. In that um, in that realm of booze, I always preferred. I remember back in the day there was one called Chateau de Flanders. Oh, that was two for one fifty. <laughs> so. I'm Sounded now, classy. I'm at the, well. I was more of a Peach Concord kind of guy. Always nice. Always nice. How about Peach Concord as a wee palate cleanser for the end of the evening? Mm. Uh, but yes, Night Train was so that was the, so it was a drink. That was a drink, but it was known for being like um, fuck you up drink. Fuck you up drink that, that street drinkers would take. Um, homeless people, you know, it would be like it was causing a lot of trouble basically because it was high percentage alcohol and in a condensed form. So and I assume it was cheap. Yeah, so and 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 I uh, do you know why Mad Dog 2020 is called 2020? And I, I didn't read into the Wikipedia of Mad Dog, no, you should know this from the amount of times you threw it up on the riverbank. I d- no, uh, Mad Dog 2020, so 20 ounces, uh, 20 percent alcohol. It's 20 percent, 20 percent alcohol in 20 ounces. Fuck me, yeah, I used to fire that into me. I know, any wonder we were fucking rolling. I wonder, love this. <laughs> <laughs> that one time that one time um <clears throat> but uh yeah so um c6 steve um talked about thunderbird which was another type of fortified wine though i mean there's a song called thunderbird but that was again sort of the, the high percentage of wine okay but this was um this was obviously 20 years earlier with night train and 
again, what it did was it, it automatically, this album showed this band were not the norm. No. <laughs> They're drinking the fucking... The cheap wine, they're taking heroin, um, but they're also fucking writing songs like Party City and Sweet Child of Mine. Well, the the story about the album before they the, the writing of the album, they were like we said, there was numerous producers and numerous people had worked on the songs with them, but they never changed the songs. They came with them songs and that was it. But the 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 never the, the producer that ended up being Mike Clink, he there's a lot of stories he told about like the difference between the times that people would turn up to record the album like the call time was 11 in the morning two of them would show at 12 so to record mm. them and then axel would show later on in the evening steven adler in his book said that the drums took six days to record Jesus. so and that, that that sounds good but in modern times there's bands that record the drums in two days yeah um because but the album took six months so his, his, his drum axel, was six days axel took months because he recorded the album line per line line by line i heard that yeah what the fuck sort of like he was that knob that's how much of then band, yeah that's what you can see that use your illusion wasn't going to work too well when so, you had somebody that much of a perfectionist like, line listen, by line and, and now this is not digital recording people mm-hmm. this is on tape yeah there's a guy with a fucking stamina but i had to go with yeah. a fucking like and cut this bit by bit physically to put it all together and he did it line by line Absolutely, that's why it took fucking six months. But, but they all turned up fucked. They all turned up like because there's nothing else to do. Nothing to do. Like if you record a guitar for four hours, yeah, and then you gotta wait for fucking prancy pants there to go and do his fucking vocalizing, (laughs) then you're fucked. You're gonna go to the bar and get wanked and then come back and all right, man, was crackly. Now he's going, get a get a man the mellow. Right, record that. Yeah, next one. Fuck me. And that's and but. Any wonder they all developed then such fucking serious addictions and problems. Addictions, but also like proper <laughs> deep seated resentment for their singer. Yeah. Of course which, you would. Which fucking together is a right fucking nightmare no, because, they, and they're young men. Like, there's not. So then we got to talk about, and we haven't mentioned him, but we should because he is, uh, in my opinion, maybe the greatest guitarist living at the moment. Well, you're going to say Slash, but also let's give a special mention to Izzy Stradlin, who's a fucking masterpiece. Izzy's f- unreal. Unreal. Guitar, really. He left, even, left before they got arseholy and yeah. basically started the band. Started, it came from another band, came from LA Dogs. Or LA, LA Guns. LA Guns, sorry, yeah, sorry, uh, obviously Guns, and then the Roses came together. Um, so it's Hollywood Rose and LA Guns. LA Guns. Guns, Guns and Roses, Guns that's Rose, the two. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Izzy is amazing as well. Fucking say. amazing. Um, like, if, to me, probably, apart from like James Heffield, the best rhythm guitar player. And modern rock, yeah, like, absolutely. There's a shadow of it, yeah. like. Um, wrote a lot of songs too. Wrote a lot of songs, and Duff wrote songs too. Duff McKagan. Um, it's so easy. Yeah, it's so fucking tune, boy. Duff, tune. that's Duff. Yeah, it is just so easy. It's so fucking, <laughs> <laughs> so fucking easy. Um, but even Duff, the sound, and that's obviously in production, but the sound of his bass, so uh, raw. Yeah. There's no um, like the old depth you would get with it. There's mm-hmm. like this real chunky sort of bass. There's really nothing like it uh, in terms of, rec- it's not in 1987, and there was no. nothing close to it. So how they referenced anything is mind-blowing. They were just, yeah, they were t- to- completely taken to themselves. But, but let's get to the main man. So I don't think there has been, maybe in the last 30 years, has been anybody more iconic. If you just want to take an image. No. If you took that silhouette yeah, yeah. of him oh, yeah. with... The, the hat, the hair, uh, no shirt on, and a Les Paul guitar. There's nothing more, um, Not there's nothing n- more recognizable, no. I don't think, in, in modern rock history. Um, Hendrix, maybe, obviously, but I mean, in modern rock, I'm talking, he was unbelievable. So that's just an image. Just an image? Just the before image. We before we touch even get the to sound it. and yeah. how amazing he actually is. Um, so that, and that image now, I mean, it's um, synonymous with was rock yeah and then heavy rock mm-hmm. I mean, if you see it any time then you get to the guitar playing yeah which is which w- depressingly good he made it look i remember when i was younger before drums were a thing he he made it look like it was real easy to play the guitar oh yeah and i remember thinking if only i had one of them guitars uh, I know I, I'd yeah. be able to do it because oh, it looks that, so yeah. easy. Because look at the way he's just like, yeah. <clears throat> but I play with one of the best guitar players in the fucking world and he still worships Slash. Like, yeah. I still, and he's been playing the guitar since he was very young, Matt McGlynn. Wow. And 
big up the man. He still worships Slash. Yeah. And rightly so. I mean, there's and he should. Yeah. B- because it's, it's a, it's a. F- and he was pissed half the fucking time. This is the other thing I was going to say. Not only is he a phenomenally good player, he was not, not only, Matt. Well, not only, not only pissed, but off his fucking tits and heroin as oh, yeah. well. And, oh, and, yeah. uh, and playing these shows. Uh, a couple of great slash stories. You know when um, he always signified when he was playing a song that he hated playing with Born because he would light a fag. <laughs> So he'd be smoking the fag while um, uh, playing the song. But the heroin sometimes had been so uh, strong on him. There was one night, uh, you could tell one of the roadies, and he was, the fag was hanging from the mouth, and it dropped into his pants, <laughs> no. between the leather pants and the skin. Ooh. And they all knew it was causing him pain, but he was that dedicated. He played right on through Fuck. and let this fucking fag burn his balls. <laughs> uh, a lot of stories of Slash thrown up behind the amplifier, too. Just going behind the amplifier. Yeah, the guy had a... Yeah. When everyone else sort of let the problem run away from them, Slash held on to it. Yeah. Like, well, into the 90s, mm-hmm. I think it was 2000s before, yeah, before he... Before he rehab. Well, he had to because he was told he was dying. Yeah. Well, and he has a serious condition, doesn't he? He actually he has, has a, a really... Well, yeah. Um, there was... Uh, and I think, actually, if he, I mean, it, he did die, technically. Um, they found him in a, in a corridor of, uh, of a hotel. He had passed out from a heroin overdose, and he was blue, like he had, he had passed away in 87. And the paramedics came and did the, the old uh, adrenaline to heart, pulp fiction style. And brought him around, and, uh, and this is before they got big. This is before they got big. So he's always been a troubled character, but mm-hmm. like we've talked about this already before, the more troubled you are, the more likely to be a genius. Yeah, and uh, he is an absolute genius when it comes to guitar. He's British, he, and he's British, yes. And born in London. Um, yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think one one of the things that led to. Um, the start of the demise, I think, is uh, again back to Slash's heritage. He, Axel, put a song out to somewhere online where they used the N word, mm. and uh, Slash is sitting there playing a song, going, "I'm half black," and yeah. you have just put this mm. in there. It's not. Mm, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not agreeing with that. So that was just, that was obviously one of the just the tip of the iceberg of what the reasons why they were breaking up. Um, but you couldn't deny the dedication he had, apart from apart from playing on with singed pubes. Um, <laughs> that is dedicated. When you talk about during those six months of recording Appetite, he was in with the producer working on his solos and working on the structures of his solos and stuff and really getting it tied down mm. <laughs> and taking a shitload of heroin. Mm. Um, so he, I mean, Drinking bottles of Jack Daniels? Like yeah, bottles, bottles of, of Jack Daniels. Yeah. Um, but when you have that much... When you're that much hitch in your system, sir. But man, like, I hate Jack Daniels doesn't do anything. No, but I hate, I hate going back to it. But that same Metallica documentary, they meet up for the Freddie Mercury tribute to do the rehearsals, mm-hmm. and James Hetfield meets up with Slash, and they're like, "Is we bar over there?" Slash is a bottle of Jack in him before they go to the bar, rehearsing with Queen. Mm-hmm. Oh man, and he, he nails it. And oh, that's like that's, it's, it's that was probably my. F- First concert experience of Guns Rose. Seeing, seeing that, that I, on I was, TV, it was because it was massive. If you don't, if you get a chance, go on YouTube and check it out um, and see the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. It was a big concert at Wembley, mm-hmm. held after Freddie Mercury's death, and uh, the the great and the good of the music world came together to do Queen songs. And it was uh, fucking class. It was an amazing concert. Um, I'm nearly sure did Axl Rose wear the Kill Your Idol T-shirt? I think he did. One? Uh, with Jesus on it? Jesus on the front of it and Kill Your Idol. Now, that was a mixture of, he was either wearing his Charles Manson t-shirt at the time or his Jesus t-shirt. Well, I wouldn't have got the Charles Manson reference, I have to say, being uh, in P6. But to see somebody, when you go to St. Column Kills Primary School, <laughs> yeah. and to see somebody with Jesus on the front of the t-shirt with the words Kill Your Idol mm-hmm. underneath it, you're going, ooh. Mm-hmm. Because we knew Jesus, we didn't know oh, Charlie. Oh, we knew Jesus. We fucking knew Jesus, all right. We knew him as much as he wanted me for a sunbeam. We fucking knew him. <laughs> uh, that was good. We <laughs> we uh, <laughs> might have known him too well, way but, too well at times. Uh, so th- so again, you're talking that rebellious attitude was there. But yes, uh, the Freddie Mercury concert, they of course do "We Will Rock You," which is no other band could have done 
a tribute to that one. Um, that was Axel doing it, by the way. That was Axel, yeah. But they do Paradise City as well. Um, maybe, I don't know what else, Knocking Heaven's Door or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big yeah, one. That, that was, was huge. Big, that was a big tune from there. But it was a cover. But anyway, uh, back to Appetite then. You've got 12 tracks in total. You've got Sweet Child of Mine somewhere towards the end, like number nine, number 10. Um, but it starts with Welcome to the Jungle. You've got, um, we've talked about Night Train. We've got to, um, Mr. Brownstone. It's so easy, as you say, as a cracking tune um, written by Duff. Mighty oh. tune, man. One of it's, the it's ones. Still not, we still haven't hit my favorite one yet, but we're getting. I was there. Just, one of the ones that always got me was was my favorite was Out to Get Me. Mighty tune. Uh, underrated song too. Really dude. underrated. I thought it was a great, great song. Mm-hmm. Um, we have then my Michelle, which was just. I love that tune too. Every time you talk about every song, I'm going, I'm humming it flat out. I know. Um, Just again, you have to, I mean, this is why for us, and this is the joy of this podcast, is that we can be able to describe to you what it was like to hear these things for the first time. Some people listening might have heard it uh, as an adult for the first time. Some people are young enough, they might only heard it recently. Mm -hmm. But um, to hear somebody in a song saying her daddy works in porno. Yes. When (laughs) when you're that age, go her daddy works in porno and you're in the middle of rural Tyrone. Mm-hmm. Must be one of the admin <laughs> boys or something. <laughs> he howls the boom. He must be the driver <laughs> for the dolls. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my Michelle nice, always, you don't, you don't, yeah. You don't hear that. Like, I mean, no, it's not... It's just we, not we, that was our, literally our, like, injection into our veins of real... CD Los Angeles streets and yeah. you know we but we, you're in the streets of Oma but you're standing, <laughs> you're standing stand in the corner the of the cabin but it was looking up at Sally going holy fuck I wonder if one of their dads working porno these streets are exactly like the town you like well Kevin but it's it's like you really were getting I mean this is before we were able to see the types of films we end up falling in love with yeah. we're, we're six man we're six seven yeah. eight it's not yeah. no but then even later years when you get into it in teenage years, the only thing remotely close to fucking LA was the fact that we were drinking Mad Dog 2020 and they were drinking mm-hmm. Nitrian. That was and we the weren't even, only ah, that was it. The only yeah. thing close. We and, it was, and it wasn't like a, a, a cultural nod or anything. It was just, it was cheap as fuck. We wanted to go off. Yeah. And uh, just for any uh, international listeners, um, especially in the Faroe Islands, wrote off means drunk. Pashed. Steaming. I wouldn't even know what pasture steaming either, would they? No. Inebriated. Oh, like that one. Uh, now, did we hit on her on your favorite yet? No. Yeah, I was thinking. Uh, what you know what it is, don't yeah. you? It's Rocket Queen. Like. Yeah, Rocket Queen. <laughs> Fucking Rocket Queen, man. <laughs> is he? Every time I go back to that album, mm-hmm. I always. I don't know why. No, like now you've got a thing in your head, and you think it. You know, like in a certain film, where you go, I think that scene's early on, and then it happens like in the last ten I, minutes. You're going, what? I know. Thought it was earlier. I always think Rocket Queen's like the fifth song in. It's the last tune. It's the last tune, yeah. And it's the best song on the album. Yeah. It's to me, it's the best song on the album. I, for me, it's out to get me, but uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go with Rocket Queen as well. I it's, fucking it's, love Rocket um, Queen. Have you seen, you know the Use Your Illusion uh, stuff they put out, the live stuff? Uh-huh. Remember the simulcast, them playing in Paris? Yes. Live in Sky One uh-huh. at like 9 o'clock in the team. <laughs> and it was like two and a half hours long. But they played Rocket Queen, that man. I was sitting in Kevin Sweeney's house. And my fucking jaw hit the floor, like. And I'd already just seen an hour and a half of some of the best live stuff I've ever seen, including Duff singing "Attitude," the Misfits song. Yeah. Well, Axel went and got changed, and there's another another wardrobe, the fucking knob. But Rocket Queen. Well, this just shows the uh, the level of um, disparity between the middle class and the working class. Um, Go for it. While you were around at Mr. Sweeney's house watching it, Go on ahead. I was standing outside the Nugent's front yard. <laughs> Watching through the there window. <laughs> Eating a bag of Monson. <laughs> Standing there, watching every move, not hearing a fucking single thing, but just watching them going, Jesus, look at them go, hey. Because they were the only ones who had sky in the park. Um, I feel bad, now. There was 40 of us. Just <laughs> <laughs> should have charged. 50 p each. That's the fucking subscription for the month cover. No, honestly, there was about five or six of us standing outside the garden. Um, <laughs> trying to pretend that we weren't watching it. That we were just having to be standing out in the park. Shh, look away, look away. No, no. Um, but then, yeah, uh, they're the only ones that had Sky, so thanks to the Nugents for that. Um, 
Well, you can look it up on YouTube now, you fucking stoke. I know that, I, but at the time I couldn't. There wrote Stokes, boy. Don't think YouTube was when somebody called you. YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> um, so Rocket Queen's the shit. Rocket Queen is the shit. And it's a, it's a great end to... It's the best. It's a coda. They call that a coda. That's yeah, a coda, motherfucker. Um, where the song just shifts yeah, to something usual. completely different. You're uh-huh. like, what? Yeah. But it is. But Rocket Queen is notorious because it has live sex sounds yes. on the recording. Yes. Um, and it was... Re- Quite. Real sex. <laughs> Proper, too. It was Stephen Adler's girlfriend at the time was in the studio. And Axel was like, at the end of the song, I want sex sounds. Mm-hmm. So the guy's like, well, we're going to have to go through the copious amount of pornos we get, have. We're going to have to get Michelle's daddy. And this is fucking... <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, that's not what we were going... Oh, no. It's not what we're going for, Kevin. <laughs> keep, her, keep her back, Kev. But uh, they they had nobody that would, was willing to do it. Now, this is 1987 Los Angeles, and they couldn't find... Make a person noises. to have sex noises with. Mm-hmm. So the girl in the studio, who was Stephen Adler, the drummer's girlfriend, mm-hmm. Axel proposed to her, do you want to have sex with me in the studio? And she goes, I'll do it if you give me a bottle of Jack Daniels. As you do. And that was it. Maybe. So they had sex, set up microphones. The engineer and producer said they're not going to record it. So some other guy who was there recorded it. Of course he did. And had to go in and change the mics twice because they kept knocking them over. <laughs> <laughs> Which, fair enough. But... It was Stephen Adler's girlfriend. <laughs> and Axel's bucking a waiter. Ah, well, that just shows you what was actually going on. Yeah, yeah. Aye. Aye. So that's on the album. You can hear it uh, before the coda, but that that was like a, that was one of the stories I heard first about. I'm hoping that was the last song they recorded too. So I wouldn't. I'm not even sure. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be singing into that mic after what's funny. No. 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 Mm. If this is the type of doll who was willing to have sex. With a person she barely knew for a bottle of Jack Daniels, who wasn't her boyfriend, well, her who boyfriend happened to be in, in the, the band ex- with her boyfriend, who's in the next room, then there might be a few bit of washing up needed done after. I'd say so. No, in all mm. fairness, I, we shouldn't judge, and no, I shouldn't judge. No, but I mean, if um, you're willing to do that, if the taxi man was offering you, you know, for cheaper lift, you'd probably do a bit of dodgies for him too. Like, so I have done, in fairness, but that's a different story. But that's that's what yeah. you do. Uh, so Appetite for Destruction, if you haven't heard it, um, please do. Please do go and listen to it. But I think you would be on a different planet if you hadn't heard at least the three singles. Yeah. Um, a, a, an absolute classic. One of our best, one of our early, early um, influences, if you want to call it that. Um, we have talked before. I mean, one of the, the good things we do in these podcasts is that we get the chance to go back and listen over or rewatch or whatever the case may be. So it has been lovely to get back into Guns N' Roses mode this week. Mm. Um, we, uh, I think we've we've covered all of our all of the tracks. I think haven't we more or less with pretty much two towards the after Sweet Child of Mine, which are um, because we know we wouldn't want to upset people out there if we don't go over every single song. No, yourself. but did you know that they actually recorded the entire album again? Yes, I did know that. And in the later, in the uh, later, st- later reincarnation of, of Guns Roses, yeah. yeah, with Josh Freese and the guys from Nine Inch Nails and stuff playing it. Do you know how I knew that? It was wild weird because, because I was such a Guns Roses fan. I watched a film and they used Sweet Child of Mine in the film. And Do you remember which film it was? It was an Adam Sandler one. What big, do you call it? Big, big Daddy. Big Daddy. It was right. But the reason I remember that was because. Cheryl Crow did a cover of Sweet Child. That's right. Yeah, for the uh, film. And I remember watching the film and hearing the Sweet Child of Mine cover and going, oh, that's fucking awful. But then the end credits come up and it's like Sweet Child of Mine playing with Axel, but it was like a different version. So that was my first inkling that it was ever ever re-recorded. Well, they recorded the entire album and and never released it. Yeah, thank fuck for that. But I thought, no, when they did that big box set like a few years back, the anniversary so I think one? they had come out with something. It, it's, it's not on it, is there? Are there no demos? No, 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 no. no there's demo. Oh, there's tons demos, of stuff, yeah. but there's none of the your stuff. So obviously, some clear heads prevailed and went, "What the fuck are you yeah. doing?" Like, yeah, because that because we shouldn't maybe leave without talking about the legacy of what went on. I mean, there's was, a bit of legacy, but there's quite a number of stories post. We, we all know what happened. Guns and Roses, they yeah, fucking fell apart. Like, but it took. A lot of years before another album was released, and it wasn't the original Guns N' Roses, and it's a piece of shit. 
piece of dung. I don't care what anybody says. Chinese democracy is fucking yeah. awful. Guns N' Roses as a band, the name, hold two records. Number one being the highest selling uh, US debut album, as in Appetite for Destruction. Mm-hmm. But also the most expensive produced album in Chinese democracy. Because of the length of time it took? The amount of money it was spent. It was like I'm going to use a figure of like 14 million or something. What? Mm-hmm. And this is fucking... Download age, like this is, this is like streaming yeah. age. This is not you're not making that money back. Like. When you can record something on your fucking iPhone and record a track that way, like yeah, <sighs> fourteen. What a fucking that's, yeah. So that's what you're up against. But Velvet Revolver came out of it then. Velvet yeah. Revolver. So we've got Slash Duff and the drummer after Stephen Adler. Per Stephen Adler was sacked. Yes, he got. Per Stephen Adler just couldn't get off heroin. No. And the perf fucker let it take him over completely, and he was replaced by Matt Sorum, who was the drummer yeah. in the Cult. Matt Sorum is, is a brilliant drummer. Um, a bit more stable, uh, but post guns himself, Duff and Slash, along with the guy was is he involved as well? No. In a way, in recording maybe I maybe think he recording, was in the recording. Maybe, yeah, and the lead singer from Stone Temple Pilots, Pilots, Scott yeah. Whalen, who unfortunately also passed away. Yeah. Um. So you have that angle. Then you had After Velvet Revolver Slash went on then to do a lot of solo stuff. Yes. Um. It does a lot of work now with Miles Kane. Um. No, he had done a lot of work with Miles Kane every time he would have played Miles Kennedy. Kennedy, sorry. Um, I was like, Miles Kane, Naughty Monkeys. There, buddy. <laughs> um, yeah, he does a lot of that stuff. So, but now um, we have, we've come full circle then. So in 2016, they announced um, a reforming of, well, reforming of the key yeah. members. So Duff, Izzy, and... Not Izzy. Oh, sorry, not Izzy. Duff, Slash, and Axel. Um, we're back. It was Gibby, Gibby, isn't it? Gibby, yeah. Um, he's in Gibby Clark. He's he, he was the guy who replaced Izzy Stradlin in 91 after Izzy left as well. But uh, the, 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 they're pretty much the core group. The core there. group was Slash and Axel, if you want to talk about you Fucking like, Duff, man. Don't, don't, don't play down Duff. I shouldn't play down Duff. Duff's the shit. I do love Duff. Um, but Not Stephen Allen here, because poor Stephen's still... He's a bit sick. He had a stroke he and stuff. He had, and a, the guys he had a cocaine and juice comb, or mm-hmm. a stroke, I think, yeah. And uh, yeah, the poor guys suffered a lot of physical as well as mental health. Also, do you know this? That after he left Guns N' Roses, um, he was offered to be the drummer for ACDC. Oh. And he was in the process of signing right. on to be ACDC. And Axel Rose went on the MTV Music Awards and says, we had a sack Stephen Adler because he's a fucking drug addict. Oh. And ACDC's managing. No. Good Turned right. offered it. So, I mean, tight, I don't tight, know. I know, man. Tight. Don't be fucking tight, man, boys. I let him get junked up. Uh, he just loved heroin. He just loved heroin. Jesus, who doesn't? Just fucking calm down. Fucking hell. Um, so, Slane Castle. That's, yeah, I was going to say. So, Slane Castle, then, they were announced as headline for Slane, um, which was magnificent news. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never got to see them. Unfortunately, no. in their time, um, we were we were eleven when they yeah. played Saint Castle last time. I got a, I, I vividly remember. Uh, there's roughly she'll go mad if I say this, but there's roughly about a ten year difference between myself and my aunt, who went to America then at age whatever eighteen nineteen, mm-hmm. and sent back a postcard to say, "Oh, by the way, Connor, I'm going to see." Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and Face No More next week. I know, man. I'll be thinking of you. And I was like, oh. I remember you telling me that, and she brought back. The t-shirt from yep. the concert. I remember you telling me that. So one half was the Metallica, the back, yep. and then the other was Use Your Illusion, and then the Map of America in the back. I was like, oh, I didn't get it, but um, probably worth a fortune now online. If you got worth it. a fortune online, but twenty five dollars was the ticket to see Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and Face No More. Here's one for you. Me and Cormac were looking to go see this band in January. You ever hear of the Wild Hearts? Mm-hmm. Remember the Wild Hearts, yeah. the UK band? Yeah, they're really, really good. They're playing. They're playing the limelight in January. Uh-huh. Forty-five pound. Get the fuck in the limelight. In the limelight. Jesus. I was like, are you taking the fucking piss? That's a that's a stone's throw away from you know having to pay twelve pound to get in the top of town. Like, holy Jesus. Forty-five pound. Huh? Who's supporting them? Fucking you twos. It's your. Yeah. But yeah, when when and also. I knew everyone who went to the Guns N' Roses Slaying gig in 92. Yes. And everybody was like, it was fucking unreal. It was epic. Best thing ever. And then this is being announced and you're going. Okay. We're going to give this a go. Is it going to be half-assed? Is it going to be? It actually wasn't. It actually was quite good. Um, 
sound wasn't great, and I don't think that's their fault entirely. Slane's a big, um, yeah, a big. Although apparently Metallica nailed it. Uh, I do believe there's uh, that I've been to a few gigs in recent years. There definitely is a lot to be said about digital PA's okay. out, outdoors. There's something. I don't know if it has the force to deal with the fucking wind coming off the river bound. Mm. But we were standing, you know, pretty central, pretty near the front. And it was almost like the sound was coming in waves. You know, it was like the wind. Was yeah, going yeah. well, hear, that's... You would hear clear at one point and then not the next, you know. So obviously the PA wasn't hard and loud enough. But everything about them, the, like I was really worried about Axel um, going to see it. I thought, is his voice going to hold up? Is it going to be remotely close? And it, you know, obviously it wasn't the same as '87, but it wasn't far off. Um, they did a pretty, pretty solid show. Um, it was fucking some of the. I think they played 70 percent of Appetite. I know they played most of the songs of it. You know, they played for a good. Did they play Rocket Queen? Uh, yeah, they played Rocket Queen. Oh boy! Oh yes, it was fucking. Awesome. I must look that up. Actually, I must get the audio of it somewhere. Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty good show, and um, so I finally got to see them, and uh, I loved the name of the tour, which was not in this lifetime mm-hmm. tour, because I, which I think was the quote was slash. Yep, saying for a let's long time. Not get this twisted in any way. Mm-hmm. These boys hated each other mm-hmm. at one point. No, All yeah. of them had a real yeah. now clearly slash and duff, um, etc. Were all. So it's it's obvious that it was split in two camps. It was yeah. Axel against Axel everyone else. Yeah. Um, one more Axel story before we finish. Axel Rose once said uh, about Kirk Cobain and Courtney Love, uh-huh. um, "I want nothing to do with those two junkies <laughs> because when this baby comes out, it's going to be deformed." This was about the child that Courtney Love was about to have, and it all stems from. The Video Music Awards, uh, and Axel being aggrieved because Nirvana turned down to support Guns N' Roses. They were like, "We don't want anything to do with this type of band." Mm-hmm. And Kirk, uh, Axel Rose wore a Nirvana hat on the video for "Don't Cry," uh, so he thought that's enough for me to get them to support us, no matter mm-hmm. what. So the the VMAs, Axel's fucked off with doesn't watch after Nirvana. Courtney Love sitting there with her baby, healthy baby, no no issues at all, mm-hmm. and Kurt, Kurt Cobain. And Axel Rose walks past and Courtney Love shouts out, hey, Axel, do you want to be the godfather of our child? And Axel Rose turns around to Courtney Love and says, you better shut that bitch up. <laughs> and Kurt Cobain, an amazing move, turns around and goes, shut up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> A fight ensues. Um, Duff McKagan has Chris Novoselic, the bassist of Nirvana, by the throat and all, and there's a real handling. Years later... Duff McKagan is like one of the last people to see Kirk Cobain alive. They're on a flight together to Seattle. Right. When he's flying home to kill himself. And Duff's sitting chatting him on the plane. And he's like, well, what are you going back to Seattle for? Yeah, I just want to go home. Next day he's dead. So Duff McKagan has a... He's from Seattle. Duff yeah. McKagan's from... There's a link. Holy Jesus. And then Dave Grohl, of course, gives uh, the throne that he got built after he broke his leg and had to play with Foo Fighters with a broken leg. He mm-hmm. built a throne for himself. That's right, yeah. The, that's the throne that Axel got to play with ACDC. Oh, okay. So there's a big full big circle phone, thing yeah. there. And of course, Slash played with Dave Grohl at the Lemmy tribute. And Duff's a massive fan of all of them. And he's apologized since profusely about stuff that he's done in the past. Yeah. But it's sort of weird that those two... Goliaths of music sort of met in such a strange yeah, fair, circumstance, yeah. mm-hmm. and and it should have been like a nice passing of the baton on to the new you generation. Think, you'd think, but, it, but yeah, no, no not, not with not when Axel's involved. Axel's involved, no, not ego the guy. Um, okay, so we're coming to the end. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you go back and listen to Guns and Roses and check out Appetite for Destruction. Really do, and listen if you listen to Spotify, listen to the 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 most recent. Uh, update of it the, the anniversary the edition the deluxe version yeah because the sound it's unbelievable yeah. and uh, we will be back next week we um, yes yeah, we have a special next we week we have a special next week oh, Jesus we'll say that huh? will we or will we say well we can uh, it's in conjunction what's their name now so Oma Community Cinema the, um, the it's not a club the cinema non-club the cinemas uh, the community cinema uh, based down here in the basement uh, in Oma. Um, sorry for anybody that's not normally going to miss out, but they're going to be. No, showing, don't miss out. Come to Oma. Yeah, come to Oma. They're going to be showing some classic Halloween um, movies, Scream, I believe, and 
Scream is this Friday this coming, Friday, yeah. which I know I hate saying dates on a podcast, but it is the... It is the Friday th- after the th- Thursday. Th- the 18th of October, and then the Friday after is the 25th, where they're going to be showing uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, which leads us nicely to our podcast next week, um, which will be on Nightmare on Elm Street. said subject. And so Nightmare on Elm Street next week, and for the first time ever... The first, this is our first guest. First guest will be on. We'll not reveal who it is. No, not yet. Yeah, we'll have a guest next week and uh, that should be fun. Terrifying? Yes. So thank you very much for listening. Go listen to uh, Appetite for Destruction. Um, oh, I'll go and check it out and see what happened to Michelle's daddy. And <laughs> <laughs> obviously, what did he do? Like, And obviously never take a flight with Duff McKagan. So, Don't get um, up with Duff. <laughs> Hang out with Duff. Don't get on a plane with Duff. No, I'm taking the next one, Duff. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for listening. As always, go like, subscribe, and please share with your your buddies. And uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again next time. I love you.